Hi, I'm Laura Lee. This is week two in our two-week series on adoption. Normally, this show is about history, and we look at, we take, usually take a few stories from the news, and we learn the history behind those stories, and then look at them from a Christian worldview. But we're taking a break to do a series on adoption. This Sunday is Orphan Sunday, and about a month ago, I asked God, what could I do to help open the hearts of the church to the cry of the orphan? And I decided to use my podcast, Tell the Stories of Those Who Have Adopted. If you've not listened to the ones we've already done, go back and listen to them. There are some great stories of God's love. And then subscribe so you don't miss the ones coming up this week. Today we're talking with Carrie, and I'm not going to lie, I actually cried during this interview. All I can say is God is so good. Today we're going to be talking about overseas adoption, preemie adoption, special needs adoption, and embryo adoption. And you're going to see how God uses adoption to tell his story of love. Thank you so much for being willing to share your story with us. Oh, no problem at all. I, I heard little tiny, tiny bits of it, but um, I'm excited to hear all of it. Sounds yeah, like quite well, a God story. It's definitely, that's what I was just going to say. It's actually going to interrupt you and say, it's not really my story. <laughs> I really feel like it's God's story. He's writing this really amazing story. So before we jump into adoption, um, I'd like to start with asking, what was your family like before you got into this Mm -hmm. journey? I'd like to show us just regular people, right, that God's using. Oh, totally. Well, the funny thing is, is that we actually weren't believers before we adopted. So he actually used adoption to bring us to a saving relationship with him. So prior, yeah, so we were married 15 years ago and I think like lots of couples just thought that you'd conceive and that would be smooth and it wasn't. And um, we had years of trying to conceive and the Lord was really protecting us at that time, I realized, because we actually didn't get very far down the road of infertility treatment, um, just for a lot of you know, physical factors and hormonal issues. We just kept having cycles canceled and canceled and canceled. And But after a couple of years, I just remember looking at my husband going, I just want to be a mom. (laughs) I just, it really, I didn't have that incredible desire and yearning to have a biological child. I just really wanted to mother. And so at that point in time, we had been through so much. And I think my husband had watched me go through so many things physically at that point that it just resonated with both of us that adoption was the next stage, that we had done what we were going to do in Mm -hmm. fertility. And adoption was the next phase. And really, we could talk for hours and hours about how the Lord was working and all of that. But ultimately, both of us at the same time came to a decision that that chapter was closed and that we needed to move in a different direction. And as soon as we decided that adoption was where we were going to pursue, doors just started opening. Like it was almost immediate. So we were very much affirmed that that was the direction that we um, were going to pursue. So tell me about your first adoption. 
So not long after we decided, like one talking weeks, not years, but weeks after we decided that you know, I just want to really be a mom and and my husband Mark was like, yeah, I just, we just want to have a family. Um, the Lord started putting people and opportunities in our path. And again, we weren't believers at the time, so we didn't know it was the Lord, but that's what was happening. So um, we ended up getting connected through a friend of a friend with someone who had adopted from South Africa and was very, um, had just a wonderful experience. This was 10 years ago. Okay. Um, so the program has changed since then a little bit, but um, had had a wonderful experience and had their children home and they invited us for dinner. And by the end of that night, Mark and I were like, I think we need to pursue um, international and, and pursue South Africa. And it had resonated with me, particularly, I looked back on my life and you know, in grade five, I did my speech in school on apartheid and Nelson Mandela. And, and then through our years of, um, you know, just growing, I, I just knowing the resilience, the resiliency of the people and knowing that if we were going to adopt internationally, the culture would have to be a part of our life forever. Mm-hmm. That was something that we really felt like we wanted to embrace. And so there was a lot of fits in that piece. I will say at the time, because we were new to adoption, we had a lot of misconceptions about private and um, like public CAS. And the public CAS particularly were negative stereotypes we had Mm -hmm. at that time. So we kind of didn't even entertain those two options. Um, and then obviously the Lord has done <laughs> some work in those areas over the years. But at that time, our heart was for international and for those factors. And so uh, when were you matched with your daughter? Okay, so at that time, things again moved fairly quickly. So we decided in the fall that we were going to pursue um South Africa we had a home study done fairly quickly and our daughter was born the following April and we got a referral in July so just less than a year and we were traveling almost a year later oh wow and then we were there for uh five weeks and our daughter was uh, three months at the time of our referral, four months when we met her, and she came home. She was about five and a half months old. Wow. And how it's, old is she now? very different now. She's 10 now. Okay. She's 10, yeah. And uh, and how has that gone as far as the culture and keeping her culture and at the same time embracing ca- Canadian culture? And yeah. how has all that gone? Well, I would say... Uh, we now um, look through that from a very, you know, a very biblical world view. Mm-hmm. And so Rachel is being raised with the understanding that we are one human race, right, descending from Adam and Eve. And depending on where the people were dispersed from the Tower of Babel, then 
people would have lived in different areas. And as a result of that, we have cultural and ethnic differences. Um, so our, our model for her is that, you know, we are, our ultimate identity is rooted in Christ. Our ultimate identity is rooted in descendants from Adam and Eve. And we're all in different shades of, of brown, you know, and Rachel right. is much darker brown than I am. Um, and then we kind of take off from there on her cultural identity. So your ancestors are from South Africa. Your ancestors are Zulu. Mm -hmm. um, you live now in Canada. You are a Canadian. And she very much identifies more with her Canadian culture. There's just no question about that. Um, we have lots of opportunities and lots of groups and support groups and, you know, opportunities to see art and culture. And she's interested, but I would say she far more articulates that, you know, I, I just, this is my family, I'm in my family, and I don't really... You know, I, I couldn't, I, I could wear a, like a Zulu drumming outfit, but it doesn't make me feel like I'm Zulu. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I'm just not growing up in that culture. Right. And again, like, I think there's a certain place that we've had to come to where, you know, we can present things in this feast kind of for her and see what she takes and what she doesn't and then respect that she doesn't want to take that right now. And it might be available for her down the road should she desire it. But our real hope is that her identity will be in Christ so that, you know, her ultimate healing, if there's identity issues, will come from him too. And so, you know, there's questions that we can't answer about her mm -hmm. early days. And so we've talked about, well, let's pray for your birth mom's salvation and then the two of you can feast you know at the banquet table with the Lord and you can right. ask her anything in eternity or one day you'll be with the Lord and you can ask him you know anything that you so again I just find a lot of the adoption related issues that may come with regards to identity we're trying to approach with the healing that can come from the Lord and then if the everyday in and out things of you know we have brown dolls we have uh, multi-ethnic and cultural books we you know we'll go to the theater in Toronto and see you know uh, a black ballet company or those type of things but mm -hmm. we really want her identity to be rooted in Christ not necessarily where she like her ancestors or our family if that makes sense yeah that's a really good perspective I I appreciate that um, it's what we just feel like the Lord knows this. So what, what would He say? You know, right. like you know, your identity's in me first, and then, then when we fall, which we do all the time as parents, and then as adoptive parents, we fall all the time, and we're trying to figure out: is this an identity issue or an adoption issue? Is this a what is? We just have to. We go back to the Lord. So if we can root her there first, and then if she wants to have more black friends or a black hairdresser or a black like then we can do that mm -hmm. we can make those choices in the everyday does that yeah that makes sense that's question? really okay. that's good advice for um people out there who are thinking about adopting overseas or mm -hmm. 
um, a different race, because I know that's always something that they worry about. But definitely, um, coming from a Christian worldview, that kind of changes that. So that was it your does. first. That was your first adoption, um, and then yep. your second adoption was twins. Am I correct? Yes. So right. our second adoption was twins that are um, also African Canadian. Mm-hmm. They were born in Toronto. Okay. Yeah. So there is, that was a domestic. So was that through Family and Children's Services then? It was. Yes. And and what made you change your mind and decide that you were willing to go through Family and Children's Services? Well, so in between those two adoptions, um, our life radically changed because the Lord saved us. And he saved my husband and I at the same time, which is completely another miracle because <laughs> that often doesn't happen. And Rachel's adoption, our eldest adoption, that um, was a huge part of it. Um, being in South Africa and seeing um, the work that was being done there and just knowing that these missionaries who were caring for children would have to have some sort of armor of protection on them. So that and a series of other things, my husband and I came to a saving faith. And so at that point in time, um, we had quite a, we had a couple of, of adoption losses in between. Um, we'd considered going back to South Africa. There had been some changes to the program at that time, and we actually decided to pull our file um, from that program. Um, so we were paper ready, but not really in any program. So we attended um, the Adoption Resource Exchange which is run in Toronto twice a year, mm-hmm. and it's for paper-ready families. Um, and Now, and my husband and I have went through that as well, so let's talk about mm-hmm. that for a little bit and how okay. um, overwhelming that is, that experience. <laughs> so you walk in, right, there's all the binders, mm-hmm. all these children. So, yeah, how is that, especially as a Christian, walking in? You can't take well, all of them. <laughs> I think I, yeah, I think I have, first of all, my heart weeps mm-hmm. um, for, uh, and I think the Lord does too. I think he, he I think he weeps. Um, I think he, well, I know we, we desperately weep because I know there are statistics that say that if, if one family in every church in Canada would adopt a child in care that's paper ready, we'd have no children in care mm-hmm. right now. And I yeah, think we could solve the problem. We could solve the problem. And we're and we're actually biblically mandated to solve the mm-hmm. problem. So we are called to care for orphans in their affliction. We're not all called to adopt, but we're called to care for orphans in affliction. And so, you know, one thing our communities have talked about, you know, is if churches looked at it from that point of view you know you'd have one family who steps forward and says you know what I we can be the family but we can't do it unless we have support and so Mm -hmm. then if the body of Christ stepped around and said well we'll provide respite twice a month and Mm -hmm. you know we'll provide a meal for you once a week and you know you know Titus 2 lady says I'll come and fold your laundry every week or you know once all those things start to happen then that family can thrive even with some of our um, you know more challenging children and the, the body raises that child, you know, mm-hmm. and then that's how it happens. So going into something like ARE as a believer, you just you want to weep because mm-hmm. you know that there's a solution. And so there's that piece. 
on the other side, I have to be honest, there was a sense of hope for me in that situation because so much of our system is broken and mm-hmm. is so bureaucratic and takes forever, <laughs> costs a fortune. Yes. <laughs> that I go in there and I think, oh my word, these children are ready. Mm-hmm. Their paperwork is done. You know, they are adopt ready. Yes. And For I think, people who, are, who think it's a long wait, it's a long wait if you want a brand new baby with no health mm-hmm. issues. But if you're willing right. to just have an instant family, it's not yeah. a long wait. It's not. And these kids are ready. They're often in sibling groups. So mm-hmm. there's multiple children available at a time. So I actually find it a very efficient process. Like. Okay. As much as some people say, oh, it feels so weird, like you're going and it's like child shopping and there's all these binders and it just seems, I do acknowledge all of that. Mm -hmm. In the same breath, we have so many children in care that it's a very efficient way Mm -hmm. of processing children who are paper ready and meeting paper-ready families with paper-ready children in an mm-hmm. efficient way. So that, I would affirm that, that process. And so when we went, we were paper-ready. We had no intention to adopt a sibling group. We had no intention to adopt children with special needs. <laughs> and both, I remember going into the bathroom, this is maybe more information than people want, but I literally was sitting on the toilet and I said, Lord, if the children are here that you want us to adopt, just take down every barrier, make it so obvious and take down every single barrier to them coming to our home, including, and most importantly, myself, (laughs) just take it down. And we had circled in the binder ones that would have met what we were approved for and da, 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 da. And then the girls came on the video mm-hmm. and Mark and I both looked at each other and said, there they are. And at that point we had no idea really what we were getting in for because there were significant needs in that sibling group, but we just knew. And so it was a combination between that, a huge leap of faith, and then the Lord just blessed our obedience. And it was one of the best decisions we've ever made. Many times we question, there's just the normal, like, what have we done? What are we doing? But it was the Lord met us in that decision. So the girls came home with you and they had um, some health mm-hmm. concerns. So what were those health concerns? Yeah, so I think the most important piece to know is that the twins were born somewhere between 22 and 23 weeks gestation, which is anywhere between a week or two before what the medical community says is the age of viability. So they are like a living testimony for the value of life. Mm -hmm. And the twins came into the world. Their birth mother did not know she was pregnant. So all of a sudden here is baby A, which is our daughter Ruth, oh my word, she's, as I say, somewhere between 22 and 23 weeks gestation, some medical people have told us 23 weeks, but we actually, with some divine intervention by the Lord, ran into the nurse who was in the delivery room at the eMERGE department when birth mother came in, we met her randomly at a farmer's market, which is a whole... Wow. (laughs) God does a lot of and random was, things. 
Yes. So she was able to give us more details around their birth story, and she said that they were convinced they were actually 22 weeks because their eyes were still fused shut. Wow. Born. So Ruth came first, and then, you know, okay, surprise, there's a baby. This is not just a hemorrhage, there's a baby. And then, oh my goodness, there's another baby. So Ruth was a twin, and our daughter Beatrice came second. And Beatrice was revived at birth. Um, praise the Lord, the eMERGE doctor did what he needed to do, which is to do everything to revive mm-hmm. at birth. If the twins had been born at Sick Kids, we were told by medical staff there they would not have revived B. Wow. There's no, yeah. And interestingly enough, like we, we have an amazing relationship with Sick Kids. We have nothing really. Uh, but good things to say about our experiences there, which have been many, um, but they don't revive. They wouldn't revive because they were convinced that they weren't at 24 weeks gestation. So they weren't considered they life. They weren't considered life. Wow. And Beatrice would turn out the way she did turn out, mm-hmm. which has a very negative connotation for the world and mm-hmm. not the light that she was so and so what what um problems did Beatrice have so Beatrice's main um complications stemmed from her lack of oxygen at birth so she ended up with quadriplegic cerebral palsy and um that affected all four of her limbs so as time went on we adopted them at eight months corrected so they came home at about a year because they were four months early and she wouldn't her and Ruth were just you know babies at that time but over the years Beatrice's needs kind of showed themselves in you know she didn't walk she was in a wheelchair she was incontinent she couldn't use the bathroom she didn't talk um but she was a light <laughs> so lots of lots of medical needs um, she had a, a laryngeal issue, so swallowing was a bit of a challenge for her. She ended up on a G-tube, being fed by a G-tube. Um, over probably when she was about five, she ended up with like a central line port because accessing blood for her was difficult. Um, she definitely did say that she would be blind and deaf. She was not blind or deaf. She had some... Um, hearing impairments, but she definitely could hear and she definitely could see. Like th- those were two miracles we experienced with her. Um, but pervasive medical needs for mm-hmm. sure. Um, Ruth had the typical preemie things, and uh, so things like vision difficulty, uh, definitely can see, but has poor sight. Um, her gross motor skills and fine motor skills were, are just delayed. They're there. She, she walks, she runs, she plays, but she's just taken a little bit longer to get some mm-hmm. of those skills. Cognitively, she's just a bit delayed. She's that early years of being in the or early year of being in the NICU for so long. Mm-hmm. She is a good year or two behind um, academically. And then... Because of 
um, just some of the brokenness in our in in the life of her birth mom. You know, um, there were some addiction issues and stuff. So she does have some neural kind of atypical stuff that we we are dealing with, which is just more like attention issues and you know self regulation and sensory stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so both girls have had lots of needs. Ruth, though, unless you knew her story and knew her intimately or were, you know, her teacher in school, you would just see her as a regular kid. And um, Beatrice, obviously you didn't because she was in a wheelchair and, and those types of things. Now, do they think that Ruth will, um, as the years continue, that, that that age will correct itself? Like she will eventually yeah. catch up with the age? or It's a good question. We continue, so we had her do senior kindergarten twice. Okay. And I have homeschooled her on and off. Um, the typical model of school is not going to work for her. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an amazing special ed team at the school, and she has amazing classroom teachers. And we... Um, I'm home full time and I need to be home full time. I was a school teacher before we had our children and I um, am choosing to be home now because of the time that they need. Mm -hmm. And we have a great collaboration going and we just really each year go, okay, what does each one of our children need one year at a time? And so we've done this year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've done a lot of, Different things. This year, Ruth is in school four days, and I homeschool her one day. And we are looking at a, a experiential program for her potentially next year, like a forest school type thing, because she's very outdoorsy and does well outside. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't know whether she'll ever um, – I think she will be age-appropriate but within a within a range, mm-hmm. I, we have hopes that she will be, um, you know, she will work outside mm-hmm. the home. She will be a mother. That's what she says she wants to be when she grows up a mom. And she will get married. We have those dreams for her. And so far, evidence suggests that that will be a realistic expectation. Um, but we won't waste time between now and then on a lot of skills that, she's not going to use in those mm-hmm. potential areas of, of um, employment or life school. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yes, that makes sense. From That's an academic perspective. Wise. Yeah. We will be training her to, you know, take care of a home and to take care of herself and to take care of her family and, you know, to serve in her community. And then if she starts to academically, you know, expand past that, then of course we will go with it. But mm-hmm. our main goal is that she is able to be a contributing independent member of our community and serve the Lord. Awesome. Yeah. Now, are you comfortable sharing more about Beatrice? Sure, yeah. It's um, so the Lord has done a mighty work in Beatrice's life, and she, um, he called her home uh, last year in February, and she was just before her seventh birthday. And we got the privilege to be her parents for six years. Uh, she was an absolute light. 
I, there's not a day or a moment that I don't regret the decision to be her mom and to accept the challenge that, you know, was placed in front of us. I do believe the Lord had a ministry for her, um, that she would touch people in hospitals. She would touch people in our local community and at sick kids. She would touch people in the church. She would touch people at the grocery store. She would touch people in the school. Um, because she was an absolute light. She had the most amazing smile. She was an amazing listener. She laughed all the time, exuded complete joy, even though she had so many limitations. And she helped me grow in my relationship with the Lord. She, um, I was so sanctified. I'm so sanctified by parenting her in that process because we were brought to the deep end so many times. We were in ICU at Sick Kids with her so many times. And the Lord would say, just, I want you in the deep end. You know, that's where you have to rely on me. You know, I am the life preserver. You have to call out for me and you will find rest in me. And if I hadn't been his mom, I don't think I would have been taken to those places where I have nothing but the Lord to lean on. And he just continues to reveal himself, reveal himself. And so be just over the years, she just never returned to her baseline of health as she would have respiratory infections, pneumonias, those types of things. And then last February, she just ended up becoming incredibly what in the cerebral palsy world is called dystonic, which is the body just becomes very rigid. And she had probably one of the worst cases of dystonia that sick kids had seen. There was nothing they could do to manage that tone. And um, we just really knew that her ministry time had come to a close. And we had the most amazing homegoing you know, celebration, our entire church, like elder community and um, close family and friends came and we had a worship service at her bedside and our pastor um, basically did a ceremony just for her so that she would know where she was going, what to expect, you know, be the Lord, it's going to be a door and, you know, the Lord is going to meet you at that door and he's going to call you home and you're going to be free and we just have such peace knowing she has no afflictions now that she is worshiping with her heavenly father and dancing and singing. And if eating is important, then she's eating, <laughs> and, you know, just celebrating. And even since that time, since he's called her home, you know, we had, we are saying probably around 150 unsaved kids at her children's funeral service. We did a special service just for kids and the gospel was preached and then we had hundreds at the regular service and um, the, the teaching that all those in our immediate community and then in our church family have learned about the resurrection and the hope we have in the resurrection and um, you know even at where she's buried you know we picture her body being raised from the dead there and the conversations that we've had around that all of us have such a richer understanding of the hope we have and what we're actually where our eyes should be cast in terms of 
our hope in eternity. And it was because of her. Um, so we miss her and we miss our time with her. We miss the lightness that she brought as much as it was a physical laborious work to care for her. She added a lot of lightness because <laughs> she was so funny and had such a great smile. And, um, you know, we miss that. But again, she helps me remember, oh, right, my hope is in Christ. My hope's in eternity. Cast my eyes there. I will see her again. We will celebrate in eternity together. And so we, we toil and we work on the side, but that's where, you know. So it's this kind of mixed feeling while I'm waiting here in earth to see her again. So, yeah, like it. Yeah. So I'm like crying of, listening to you. So oh, I don't ask you any questions. Well, it's, I, I mean, we, we, yeah, I find myself weeping now, yes, at, at missing her, but I weep even harder at, the, at what Christ did for us on the cross so that I can spend eternity with her. Like, that's what makes me weep, right? Because mm-hmm. I know I've watched what it's like to watch a child die, and God had to watch his son die. And the son asked him to stop the affliction, and he didn't. And he did that for my sins, you know. And I think, wow, like, I could make be comfortable when she was passing. I could do that. My husband and I were able to make her comfortable. And God could have made Christ comfortable, and he didn't. You know, he just sat there taking more and more and more of my sin. And now I get to spend eternity with with him and my daughter and those who love him, you know, and we get to celebrate for eternity. That just makes me weep. Um, and I would not have had that intimate, deep understanding of that if it weren't for the gift he gave me and be. And parenting her was hard. But, you know, God gets hard. You know, Christ gets hard. And we have hope in that hardness, right? So that's, that would be, you know, my encouragement to parenting in these hard, hard places or taking on the, taking on something that's hard if the Lord is calling you to that, right? It is hard. There were many days, like I, we could talk for hours about, you know, there were seasons of burnout and, you know, we used to homeschool and then the kids end up going to school because I was getting burnt out. And, you know, it's not all pretty and, and wonderful, but the Lord gets that. And ultimately, we are going to not have to, you know, suffer or, you know, have striding or, you know, be in the deep end forever, (laughs) you know? So So let's move on to your third adoption so we can, like, wipe our tears (laughs) away. (laughs) And so your your third adoption was one I've I've heard about it vaguely, but I've never met anyone who has done this, and I know nothing about this topic. So you did... (laughs) An embryo adoption. So first, mm-hmm. how did you hear about embryo adoption? Okay, so embryo adoption adoption just actually, first of all, um, came to us with some conversation between our pastor and his wife, who also have adopted. And we, you know, were chatting and have had experiences with the fertility world and just sort of having a conversation one night and had heard something about it, but we're just kind of playing it out ethically, like in conversation. So really it was more a, there has to be a, if we follow our biblical 
worldview here, there has to be something that we can do as the body of Christ with this orphan crisis that exists in the fertility world. And so, so people who don't know how the fertility world works, um, mm-hmm. so just explain what the orphan crisis is in the okay. fertility world. Yeah. So again, I'm speaking as a Christian. Mm-hmm. So we believe that life begins at conception. And as in Psalm 39, children are fearfully and wonderfully made and that they are knit together in their mother's wombs and that they are, you know, conceived of before the foundation of the earth. Mm -hmm. So if we believe that, then we have to follow our logic through and say, well, if life begins at conception, then whether it's my womb that receives that child or my hands that receive that child when the baby is born at nine months or 22 weeks gestation or whatever, mm-hmm. it is adoption. And because there is a lot of brokenness in the fertility world, and again, I'm not placing judgment on Christians who choose to walk that fertility road, but we do have to ask ourselves some really important questions. Like, um, if we believe that life begins at conception, then each embryo that is created is a life. And so we have to be accountable to those lives. So what happens in fertility is that oftentimes many embryos are created um, between, you know, a couple and there may be more embryos created than that couple is prepared to have transferred into the woman's uterus. So then the decision comes again for a a woman and her husband, what are we going to do? Now, in the Christian world, there may be a lot of questions that you're asking yourself even before you get to that point, because you don't want to be, you know, um, confronted with that decision. And that's a whole other conversation. But let's just say a couple has extra embryos, and they don't know what to do with them. One really viable option, instead of throwing them in the garbage, discarding them, or donating them to science, is to donate them to another couple to use. So We are aware of two um, programs in this province. Only one is an official adoption program, and they run as a regular adoption. A home study must be completed. Um, The family family chooses you, and so it's an open adoption. You would know the biological, genetic um, siblings of that child, uh, it's a Christian organization, and, and what is uh, the name of the organization? Is Beginnings and Wealth. Okay. Yeah. And I would really recommend that program for couples who have not adopted before, because there are issues that are going to come up with regards to the adoption piece of this, or the non-sharing of genetics mm-hmm. questions that the children will have that you need to be prepared to answer. And an adoption program, home study, and those type of things will help prepare you 
for that. We used a program in or a, a fertility clinic in Toronto um, called Repromed. Ours is not an official adoption. We call it embryo adoption because that is what it is for mm-hmm. us. That's the language we used when we were in the clinic. That's the language we used in the hospitals afterwards. Um, because in our mind, our motivation before the Lord was to adopt these embryos. And even if they didn't become viable in my womb, we felt comfortable that then the Lord would have called them home and we will see them in eternity. Mm-hmm. So if you called the clinic in Toronto and asked for their embryo adoption program, that's not what they're going to refer to it as. They will call it um, like an embryo donation program. It's very scientific. It's a right. secular fertility clinic. Um, we felt comfortable going that route for a couple of reasons. This is our, well, our fourth adoption and We've done every type of adoption. We've trained and prepared for every different Mm -hmm. type of adoption, which are different. So we felt like we could go into that and be really well prepared to answer questions that might come up. We also felt very strong and convicted to make biblical decisions as it related to the transfer of those embryos. So basically what happened for us is we are, are our girls wanted to have a sibling who looked like them. Mm-hmm. So we um, called the clinic and we were able to get matched with um, embryos that are African Canadian. And um, we were given three embryos. There was two embryos in one vial and one embryo in the other. And that's an important thing to know because if you only wanted to transfer one embryo, you wouldn't, as, so for us as a Christian, we would not have chosen then the vial that had two because right. you have to thaw both to transfer one, which means one is going to die. So mm-hmm. from an ethics perspective, we felt very strong that we were able to go in and advocate, no, we see this as life, so we are going to transfer the two. And we had to be willing to transfer the two for ourselves because we again, are coming in with the motivation of this is life. So um, we came to, we we ended up transferring two. One ended up um, being called home um, by the Lord. And so we believe that that embryo is, that life is with me in heaven. And the other one um, grew in my womb and he was born in July. And so I gave birth to our first son in July of this year. And again, it was a total God thing because I have never had my womb opened in 15 years of marriage. We never had a positive pregnancy test, but the Lord saw fit that this life would grow in me. And um, yeah, we now have a three month old baby. (laughs) So so um, yeah. So for the person who's just hearing about this for the first time, mm-hmm. and they're just mm-hmm. like, "Wait, what? <laughs> this is a thing." I know. <laughs> so, but they're really curious about it. So, where should yes. they start if they're they're just curious, yes. and they're just there's like maybe a slight tug, but they don't want to call up an agency because that's you know where can you just start to learn more? Well, the Gospel Coalition has put out a couple of articles 
um, in the States on embryo adoption. Okay. The ESV Bible also has in their appendix at the back, they also often call it snowflake adoption. Um, that would be a place to look. Um, and you know what? I would go online and I would do some research at the beginnings site. Mm-hmm. I'll put a link to they, them on this. Yeah. And again, if you're just thinking about it, I, I cannot stress enough that the program in Guelph, like doing an adoption program is the best because it is an adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, so our son Calvin does not have my genetic nor my husband's genetic makeup. Right. He is not, he has, and, and we will use the language with him, you know, your genetic parents. So with our other girls, the language we will use is your biological parents. In Kelvin's, we'll use the language, your genetic parents. Mm-hmm. And then I am his biological mom because I birthed him. And language is important. And so th- these are the sort of things that, again, you need to know about so that when your child asks you questions, you have answers t- to give them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say, too, is um, you have to be um, prepared. So starting to gather research around ethics as a Christian. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other conversation we could have, but you really have to be aware of the secular fertility world and where you would stand ethically on a lot of procedures so that you can go into these situations with the armor of God on and not be afraid to use the language that aligns with your worldview. Mm-hmm. And not to be afraid to say, no, that doesn't work for us because it doesn't align with our worldview. And I think the advantage of using a Christian program would help in that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't eliminate, but it helps. And so I would encourage Christian couples to do some research on the ethics and making sure that the decisions that you're making align with your worldview that life begins at conception. So, so that yeah, we'll when, definitely put a link then to that beginnings website. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I know other people who have adopted through beginnings, um, mm-hmm. regular adoptions as well. So yes, yes, yeah. they're a good agency that I would recommend. They are great. They are very, we have friends who've adopted from them too. And, and just as a side note, completely unrelated to Calvin's genetics, he ended up having a congenital heart defect. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the Lord actually ended up calling us back to Sick Kids and ministry there. Um, it wasn't a genetic issue, but it did for a period of time. We had to ask ourselves, like, until all the information had come forward, there was the possibility that it could have been genetic. And so, again, that was just something we had to walk through because I was 22 weeks pregnant at that time when we found out that he had a major heart defect. So I bring that out to say, just because you walk forward in that situation doesn't mean that the Lord cannot bring to your path um, a special need that you may have to deal with. Again, his particular need was not genetic. Um, It was just a developmental thing that happened at that stage of development, but it did make us think, oh, you know, because we had chosen not to do any genetic screening on the embryo ahead mm-hmm. of time, which again was another thing you'd have to consider with your particular 
convictions on that in terms mm-hmm. of ethics. So I just throw that out as we did. So how is he doing now? How is his heart now? Well, he had open heart surgery at six days old. So I oh, wow. in Toronto at Mount Sinai. And then he was taken right away and was in ICU at the kids for um, two weeks um, and had open heart surgery at, at day six and had a major, his two major arteries switched. And uh, he's doing amazing. And he will probably have very few residual things that actually happen because of um, the fact that we knew ahead of time and a plan was in place and the doctors did amazing work on his heart there. Um, But we definitely found ourselves back actually within the exact same ward in the exact same hospital room placement as we were with B. So we had death and resurrection within a year and a half in the exact same spot. At so how did your <laughs> mom heart handle that? I mean, just giving birth, there's so much like emotions and mm-hmm. and uh, like even just chemical reactions in your body are such an emotional place. And then to be there, like how did you handle that? I will be honest, it was hard. Like the... Being there for Kelvin's birth, like the postpartum heart, was harder than being there when B was called home. They're very different, but it was harder because we were revisiting mm-hmm. back in the same spot, walking by this, you know, so there's all those flashbacks. And, you know, there's the postpartum piece and the hormonal piece and all of that. So, um, again, I, I I don't know how I would have done it if it weren't for the Lord. I I just don't know how. I I don't know what I would have done. Um, it he did give me this constant picture of resurrection at that time. Like here we are, and this is life. Like how is it that you have opened my womb after 15 years, and you're using a baby that has a heart defect <laughs> in the same spot, and is going to have life. You know, it's going to be okay after what you've walked us through an adoption through death. You know, that picture was just so clear to me. Um, And and it was hard. Like, it was hard. You're watching your baby, you know, attached to all these different tubes and wires and their their chest is, is, you know, you know, sewn shut and there's drains and you know, all of it, it was horrible to see and you're healing, you know, you're sore and, um, you know, if my, my husband was incredibly supportive and our church family was incredibly supportive and the people at Sick Kids are amazing. Um, and there were moments where I'm like, Lord, seriously, <laughs> really? Here we are again, you know? Um, and then, you know, I step back and I look and I go, well, yeah, okay, here we are again. Like, we know this place. We know what to expect. We know what to, act. you know, so it's, again, that tension of, Lord, seriously? And then, like, oh, okay, I guess if not, well, then I guess it is us. You know, why wouldn't you choose us? We know this place. You know, we've been down this road. You've sustained us before. You'll sustain us again, you know? It's hard at some point once you start having so many of these experiences to go, okay, Lord, this this is about you. You know, you're going to use these things for your glory. And I just need to obey. (laughs) I just need to come along and obey because 
it's actually almost so unreal. Like I couldn't write the story myself if I tried that I have to just step back and go, okay, I just have to trust you. I have to trust you. You've got this. Well, it seems like a story you should write, actually. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that, but... They have, actually. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) I just need to carve out some time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is really easy to do when you share it, because (laughs) it's the Lord's, right? And so anytime there's opportunities to share it, I'm trying to be obedient because it is His, and it's so amazing Mm -hmm. that it has to be shared. So we're running out of time here, and I know mm-hmm. your little one's probably going to wake up from your nap any second. Um, so <laughs> yeah. for our last question, how can we be praying for your family today? Um, I love that question. And I think I've shared enough details about, you know, mm-hmm. our, what's on our plate. I think, you know, for my eldest, who's 10, if you can just be praying that she would you know, be so, that her identity would still be rooted in the Lord. She's at that age, right, where she's questioning a lot of things, and they're good questions. And so we're just praying for her salvation. Um, our Ruth, you know, she, um, you know, there's some neural atypical things. And so we're just either praying that the Lord would do a miracle and, and just just relieve that burden from her brain, you know, um, or just, you know, continue to extend his grace on her life you know that he would just provide opportunities for her within the limits that she has to grow you know and to just meet her potential mm-hmm. um and then obviously calvin is that he you know his heart would just continue to heal and he would be able to be you know a strong you know active regular little boy and mostly for mark and i would just be you know, patience with our children. <laughs> we all want more patience. Yes. <laughs> and then um, discernment. We have one embryo left, you know, mm. and it's a life for us. And we, you know, there's days we feel very maxed, you know, and then there's days where we're like, but you know, you, you've got this Lord, you know, and there's a financial piece to continuing with embryo adoption and so there's that so just discernment I think around our family that we would you know do what is pleasing to the Lord knowing he'll sustain us whatever that is mm-hmm. and patience you know for each other and for our children uh that'd be great I'd appreciate it well, we, will, we will pray for you today thank you so thank much you. for being willing to share the story I'm sure that there's oh. going to be a lot of uh, tears as people are listening to this, but it's so mm. great to see um, the picture of the mm. of the gospel through your life, and that you're willing to be the picture of the gospel. Mm. Well, praise God for that. Praise God, really. Thank you so much for letting me share it. That was Terry's story. In the show notes, I'm going to have a link to beginnings if you're interested in embryo adoption. Also, Terry is happy to connect with anyone who has questions. So you can message me and I will put you guys in contact. Right now, we want to pray for Terry's family. God, thank you for this wonderful husband and wife who have been your arms and your hands and have been your love to the children who you love. Give them patience and peace as they continue this journey. Help the girls to have a firm foundation in their identity in Christ. 
Help little Calvin to continue to grow and help his heart to heal. Keep this family safe as they continue to shine your love for the world. Amen.